Welcome to Church Unscripted, and thank you for being here with us this week. You can like or subscribe if you like this. Um, you can also share it with your friends or family members. Um, we're really excited because this is the, our first podcast post-Easter, so we're um, excited about the post-Easter uh, time. And we actually have someone here with us today that has not been on Church Unscripted before that I'm really excited, and that's uh, Courtney. And Courtney is both our office admin. Okay, that's one area, but you're also our women's ministry lead. So if you want to connect in women's ministry, you got to see Courtney on a Sunday morning during the week, come to the office and see her. She's with us every day. So I'm excited about that. So Eric, I have a post-Easter question, okay? I was thinking about this as I was listening to the sermon Sunday. It seems like Easter is the high point of the year. I mean, some people yeah, look at people, Christmas. Yeah, they, they call it like the Super Bowl of the church world, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think of Easter Sunday, and I think both you and Courtney probably have great answers for this, but I've been thinking about this a lot, is how do you deal with that post-Easter lull? Like we just talk about the resurrection, and then what does next Sunday look like as a pastor even, but even as like the church? So how do we how do we deal with that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's good. Well, honestly, it, it, a lot of people liken it to like the Super Bowl of the church world. I kind of see it more as a marathon. Um, and yeah. uh, it's not just like the amount of time and effort you put into like Easter preparations, which includes Good Friday and so forth. It's, it's also the mental weight of making sure that uh, you are accurately uh, presenting the gospel, the resurrection story in all of its fullness because you know that there's gonna be people coming through your doors who uh, perhaps have never been to church before or have been de-churched or ex-churched. And, and so there's, there's a lot of mental, emotional, even spiritual weight on Easter. And then afterwards, it's like, okay, I just finished running a marathon and now there's a little bit of a relief to it. However, you realize that um, if you did a good job, if you made a good impression, if if the Holy Spirit was working in people's lives, then they might actually be back the next week. And so there's still the pressure. Hopefully, uh, to, right? Well, that's what we're praying for, right? Um, and so it's, so it's almost like, yeah, there's the relief that it's over. You celebrate what God did. You enjoyed every minute of it. But Sunday's coming, and you want to make sure that... Um, that their experience from Easter to the next Sunday is not a, a huge gap. Yeah, um, yeah. Because we want to make sure that we present the gospel as accurately the next week as we did during Easter. So that's the best way that I really know how to describe what it feels like after Easter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Courtney, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, a little bit on a personal level. I feel like Easter is kind of this crescendo. And then Good word. for me, I feel like I just need to make sure that my personal rhythms are kind of in order and like especially because I do work here in the church and I get to see all of the behind the scenes, making sure that I rest. And then I just get right back into my Bible and kind of keep up with my um, personal daily devotions and that sort of thing. So um, it, it, like when you say it is a marathon, it's really, we didn't get to the finish. Like there's yeah. still so much more to run. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Good pacing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I always I always think of uh, Easter afternoon as the low point. That's the moment where you take a nap. Oh right? yes, especially yeah. if you're on a church staff. But we like, did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see we did too. And but I think I think what's so important if you're if you're someone that comes to church and you're like, okay, Sunday morning on Easter, there's a buzz, there's an excitement, and to continue that part of that has to do with maybe the people you invited to church, inviting them again the next week and encouraging mm -hmm. them. It's not inviting them to one thing, it's inviting them into the community of the mm -hmm. church. And so that takes some time. And so yeah. um, 
continuing to be faithful in that. I think I think Easter's probably the hardest one. I I find Christmas kind of has a different rhythm. And so Easter to me every year seems like this really high, high point. You hear the gospel clearly presented and that's that's our goal. And and afterwards you're like, whew, you kind of take a deep breath. It's the it's near the end of the marathon a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I think I, I want to pivot a little bit today as we talk about the message, but I think it's important for us to speak practically about our post-Easter moment kind of, sure. you know, for yeah. the church. So, yeah. Eric, you, you mentioned on Sunday, and I think this is very important, um, God gives us the privilege of taking the message of the gospel to the world around us. And this message is not just for some people, right? It's for all people. And those are the passages you shared. So I, I thought of Jonah. Yeah. And what what would you say to someone? And I want to hear from Courtney as well. What would you say to someone that says, I feel a lot like Jonah because I just never, I don't really want to share. I run from it. I feel the Holy Spirit prodding me to talk to this person and I just don't do it. What would you say to that person to encourage them to share or what to overcome that? Yeah, that, that's a, man, what an applicable question. Mm-hmm. Probably every single one of us have struggled with that. And I think there's, there's a principle of life that I've learned uh, that I think applies to this. And that is this, anything that is worth pursuing is, is always hard. Uh, anything that is easy really doesn't have a ton of value and doesn't need to be pursued that much. But the gospel going to the world, that is one of the more difficult things that a believer can Mm -hmm. do, especially if you're not confident, if you're not a a social person, if you don't feel like you can speak publicly well, then that would be an extremely intimidating thing. But I think if we can establish in our minds that that hard things um, in a lot of cases are worth pursuing, it makes it more valuable than this very much fits into that pattern. And I think that was the case for Jonah. I mean, the, the, the thing was he wasn't interested in just disobeying God. He had legitimate reasons to want to run. Uh, he feared for his life. And, and you can understand from the Assyrian empire that Nineveh represented uh, that his life would be in fact be in danger. How many of us are willing to cross the street to give the gospel if we know, okay, my life is in danger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of other things to think about like our family, our future, our career. Uh, so would we really put it on the line for that? And then theologically speaking, if you don't think that those people deserve uh, to hear the message, then why would you waste your time on it? Uh, because those people get what should get what they deserve and what they don't deserve is the gospel. What they don't deserve is hope and life and renewal and forgiveness. And that's what the gospel is all about. Uh, so if there's people in your life, especially somebody that, you know, has hurt you in the past, Mm -hmm. why would you waste your time giving them something they don't deserve? So I can totally understand why it's difficult for so many of us to, to take that leap of faith, not a step of faith. It's a leap of faith, um, and present the gospel to people and those kind of circumstances. So especially with Jonah, you mentioned a couple of things and sorry, Courtney, I, before we get to you, but I think <laughs> yeah, this fine. is, I think, I think that um, you mentioned a couple of things I just want to highlight. One thing, it's almost as if Jonah said, I'm part of the chosen people or I'm the people of God. And I don't want, because they don't deserve it. And he became the arbiter or the decision maker on who deserved God's grace. Because it's clear he knew God's grace. You see that in chapter three and chapter four that you, you shared on Sunday. And he knew, hey, God, you were gonna do this. I knew you'd do it, but I don't wanna be a part of it. And so uh, maybe maybe I'll, I'll shift to Courtney a little bit, but like, uh, yeah. yeah. So Courtney, like how, how can we see past ourselves in that, if that makes sense? Like he thought he was chosen. And some of that was, I mean, he was, 
pretty righteous? I mean, God chose him to be a prophet, right? He knew he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He knew he was. Mm-hmm. But what? how do we overcome that in our lives? Because, I mean, it's really easy to say, like, well, I can't reach this group of people because it's not safe for my family, which mm-hmm. is a very valid thing to say. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, God many times calls us to put everything yeah. and offer everything to him. Yeah. Well, I definitely can... I can relate to Jonah. So I think anyone who has been inside the belly of the fish can say it is definitely worth doing that hard thing and not avoiding it. And I've lived a lot of years and I feel like I have overcome a personality of independence and rebelliousness. Um, And so I definitely have learned the hard way that to just go ahead and be obedient in it is so much better than fighting it. So I loved how you said do hard things because that's a motto. Like we were not really designed to do easy things. And we are also not promised that life is going to be easy. So my comfort, the, per, the comfort person inside of me says, I just wanna take it easy. I don't wanna go do the thing I was told to do, but I know better having learned the hard way. I'm totally have been Jonah. And I think a lot of people can relate to being Jonah too. So I don't know if that answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, so so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two sides here. And okay. so I thought of Sunday sermon in two different two different audiences. One was the audience of believers that is not being obedient to share, mm. and the other audience was the one that needs to be shared with. Mm-hmm. But both needed to be shared with in a sense. So I, what I mean by that is those those that are not of faith. So those that are the Ninevites, let's stay in Jonah and we won't go to the New Testament yet, but like in, in Jonah's story, it seems like the the message of the gospel was actually for Jonah as well. And yeah, so how would like you, that. how would you, yeah. how would you maybe, I don't know if you can unpack that a little bit more, like how there's an audience of Jonah. Okay. So if you're, if you're feeling a little bit like Jonah, what do you need to hear? And if you're feeling like the Ninevites, what do you need to hear? That's a good question. Um, mind if I take a stab at this Go first? Go for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, of course, if you're a Ninevites, the answer is fairly obvious, and that is that you are getting the message of hope. Uh, and without the message of hope, which is Jesus, uh, then you are lost and that your eternity is dismal at best, right? But for Jonah, the, the application and the growth point for him is a little bit more complex to discern. But I think it's very much um, a hand-in-hand kind of relationship where as Jonah agreed to and submitted to God's will to go to Nineveh, he himself put himself on, uh, in the church world, we call a journey of sanctification, right? So sanctification simply means that over a period of time, you increasingly become more like Jesus, right? So I don't like to use that word because we never use the word, but that's the process, right? So in his pursuit of God's plan for his life, hence going to Nineveh, he was developing more the mind of Christ in himself. And so he was realizing that even though he was a Jew, even though he was a part of God's chosen people, right? Um, That God's plan was not just for the Jews, it was for the whole world. So his theology expanded, became more accurate. And I think the compassion of his heart for the people of Nineveh Nineveh eventually followed. And that's the same that we see in the story of Peter in Acts chapter 10, which we'll probably get to in a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think the more that we pursue the hard things that God has for our lives, as uncomfortable as it might be, if we refuse to go there, we actually rob ourselves from our spiritual development. 
But if we choose to go that direction, what we see happening in us and through us and for us um, in the way our nature and character is being transformed in the likeness of Jesus, then we see just how sweet that process really was. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think one thing that can encourage us, and I should have put this in, in my message, but um, we noticed that, that it was from Joppa that Jonah was called to Nineveh, but he ran. It was also from Joppa that Peter was called to go to the Gentiles, but resisted. What's interesting is the word Joppa translates as beautiful. Um, and Isaiah 52, it was a really cool passage. Isaiah 52 uh, says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news, mm-hmm. uh, who bring good tidings. And so it's- Wow, so the that's whole, amazing. Yeah, so the whole idea is, is when you're confronted with a hard part of God's will for your life, whatever he's calling you to do, if you can see it from his perspective, as opposed to the circumstances, you might be able to see yourself as doing something beautiful in the eyes of God. Um, which if all the thing you see is the, is the circumstances, you'll never see it that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I just thought, man, that's, that's probably something I should have put in the message, but um, that's I why it's here that's for church. Unscripted. That's why we have it. church unscripted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, so, so I think, I think for the, for the Christian believer hearing the message of Easter and the message of the resurrection, how can we overcome that resistance that we have like Jonah knowing the truth to go to people that don't look, act, or even think like us. I think think yeah. like us is actually the one that's hardest in our sure. current American culture. Yeah. Like- They vote differently. They yeah. vote differently, sure. They whatever. Yeah. So is there a way we can co- overcome that resistance? I, I figure, Courtney, you might have some ideas. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let everyone know that you are from California and I grew up in California. <laughs> I, I think California is very different than here, right? I yeah. Mean, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, so how, do you, how do you reach people that don't look like you, don't act like you, don't think like you? You know, well, first of all, when I was listening to the sermon on Sunday and I was really thinking about the difficult people, not just the people who are not like me or different, but I actually have some difficult people that is a constant struggle to forgive. And so that's what really spoke to me in the sermon the other day. Um, so that was, that's just something that I have to pray about. That's something that I have to work on daily. Um, as far as people who are just different, um, maybe they have a view that's the opposite of mine. I just go into any situation like that, just putting that out of my mind and thinking we're all God's children, whether we believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't dwell on that, but I just, I had to be honest and say that there's di- the difficult people in my life that I find it harder to be that open with. Yeah. So. Well, and essentially you're dwelling on the similarities rather than differences, right? I mean, yeah. That's, and that's, yeah, I am an optimist. So I guess I would tend to dwell on that. Well, we need to be a more optimism, I yeah. think sometimes, you know, <laughs> helpful. So yeah. Eric, what would you say of uh, like our resistance, but also maybe, maybe piggyback on that question is what opportunity do we actually have to share people that are diametrically opposed to the gospel, that they, mm-hmm. they believe something and are almost antagonistic? You know, what mm-hmm. opportunity do we have to share? I mean, I, I've seen believers publicly called names, shouted at, mm-hmm. all kinds of things happen, even in I've seen family gatherings of people and they talk about it. So what opportunity do we have to share the gospel when maybe we're only going to get one chance? What does that, what does that look like for a believer to say, I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to be peaceful about it, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Cause some, some people just want to argue. 
Like, what do you yeah. do with someone that just wants to argue? Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, I think I think this is a really good opportunity to to show something that I think so far we've missed a little bit. So we tend to believe that sharing the gospel is all about using our words mm-hmm. um, and doing something of a presentation, which it includes that. But I think the greater presentation of the gospel uh, has nothing to do with words. It has everything to do with your character, the way that you mm-hmm. present yourself, your demeanor, your attitude, uh, the way you treat other people, even the difficult people. So, so if you say something like, I only have one chance to share the gospel, um, take the opportunity if you have it, but realize that the entirety of the time that you have known that person, whether that person's in your family or a neighbor or whatever, uh, you have been speaking the gospel to that person mm-hmm. if you have been living your life for Jesus Christ. And it may not have hit them uh, in the moment, but perhaps the time you do take to present the gospel to them with words, they'll connect the dots and be like, okay, I see what you're saying is consistent with the kind of person that you are. So, mm-hmm. so. let me pause for a second. So, yeah. so what you're saying is sharing the gospel starts with your behavior, actions, attitudes, demeanor. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah. it, so, so you could be someone that thinks they're an evangelist and you share the gospel. I'm oh, yeah. using quotation marks by your words, right. but then people look at your life and are like, yeah, so I would say yeah. if, if, you're, if your life doesn't look anything like Jesus, uh, kind of... Uh, it's <laughs> Eric, Eric, where are you going with this? Uh, wait, wait. <laughs> may, maybe save the church the heartache of you misrepresenting the gospel yeah. and not say anything at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if, if your life doesn't look like Jesus, but then you pretend to be a representative of Jesus, now they see a duplicitous kind of a nature mm-hmm. and they think, well, is that what church is like? Is that who people are? Is that what people in church are like? They live one way and they say the other thing. And, mm-hmm. and at that point, at that point, whatever you would say, as eloquent as it might be, or as theologically accurate as it might be, uh, there's no motivation whatsoever for them to embrace anything. Well, and so, what, what, if, what if someone comes and says, hey, one, I'm not perfect. I know I struggle with these things still, and I know Jesus has freed me from these things. Oh, yeah. I'm you not know, saying they, you got to be perfect. No, but it's, no, no. More a, it's more a humility. Oh, it right? has to be Isn't humility. That? And, and that's so, what God was built. That was what God is building into Jonah. Mm-hmm. That's what he built into Peter. So, I mean, we've all probably seen people who have claimed everything about mm-hmm. Christianity, but their life looks very little like mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. And even as a believer, that drives me nuts. Yes, um, Absolutely. Authenticity, please. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So, Courtney, do you have something to add? Oh, I mean, it sounds oh like yeah, <laughs> I totally do. Um, so, who was it? St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach Christ always, use words when necessary. So, that's mm-hmm. what I thought of. Um, the whole lifestyle evangelism thing. I fully agree 100% with that. Um, I think with Jonah, like, he knew that he was a prophet and he he would have obeyed, I think, if he wasn't so full of fear. But in when he did finally go to the Ninevites and do what he was told to do, and then he sat up on the hill and waited for them, he was, he his heart wasn't right. And so I think that's what needs to line up, like your beliefs and what you stand for, um, obeying God, doing what he says to do. But if your heart isn't there, it's just the same thing. It's like, speak the truth in love or don't speak it. So, well, and, yeah. and I think that, strong that's opinion. a theme through yeah. 
all of yeah. Jesus's teachings. I mean, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he's constantly addressing the heart rather than the behavior. Yeah. You know, he 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 changes something to actually be harder. And so let's let's pivot to Peter. We've talked a lot about Jonah. And so when you were getting to the point of talking about Peter in the New Testament, Acts chapter 10, uh, you said, and you were talking about God, says he doesn't look for approval. He looks for surrender. And I think we can unpack that a little bit. Um, not to be just uh, broaden the question, but really what approval are you talking about? I mean, I listened to the sermon. I thought, hmm, what, what approval is he getting at? You know, what, what approval are you referring to? God doesn't need, uh, doesn't look for approval. You said look, so doesn't look for approval. Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. I think some of, sometimes, the, sometimes we think we have more authority with God uh, than we, we actually do. Now, I know scripture says that, that because we are co-heirs with Christ, we are sons of God with him, that we have uh, the confidence to approach the throne of grace, right? And present our request to him. That's different than saying, God, here's what you can and cannot do in this world, right? So what I meant by that is, is God is going to save people who don't deserve it, who we don't, don't think don't deserve it at the moment of their surrender. And if, if, if we are slow to the game because we don't want them to get saved, then God's just gonna go right past mm-hmm. us. And, and then- So you wanna be a part of it. Oh, you wanna be a part of it because yeah. that's gonna be a celebration. That's gonna be a party. And those people are going to enjoy the fruits of their newfound faith. And if you're like, no, you don't deserve it, then, then you're gonna miss out on the party. This is the story of the prodigal son. Mm. I mean, the prodigal son, I mean, he blew it. He did not deserve in any way coming back to the father, right? But as soon as he came back in surrender, the father embraced him, made him a full son again with all the status, all the authority, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, a robe on his back. His older brother did not approve of that in Mm -hmm. any way. And you know what happened? They threw a party. The son was restored. The father was full of joy again. And the older son missed out on the party. He went sopping somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what's the point of you just throwing a fit over this? Your brother just got saved. Do you want him to stay in in the pit with the pigs? And so I think that's the mentality of it is even though we think some people in our life does not deserve hope, when they do get hope because they've surrendered, I mean, we have to ask ourselves the question, would we rather them be going to hell or would we rather them get saved? So essentially what you're saying is sometimes we, we take the authority that God has and think we have some influence on that when God's just going to Oh yeah. Save who he's going to save. Yeah. Uh, the older brother, I think it's interesting that you bring up the prodigal son because in that passage, he's speaking to the Pharisees and the Jews. So the audience sees it and it was less about the prodigal son and it was more about the older brother and the, the reaction he had. I mean, yeah. and I, I always read that and I go, I, I get really emotional because I'm like, I don't want to be the older brother. But then I think right. like I've lived in the church most of my life. I'm a pastor and I'm really struggling with like, okay, does this person deserve it? Or becoming cynical, maybe mm-hmm. pe- becoming cynical. So, um, well, I mean, that, that's a really good point. I mean, what, what about churches and definitely not Brookside. Brookside would never do this, right? <laughs> about Brooksiders or any church people who say those kinds of people shouldn't come into our church. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you are part of the LGBTQ community, are you allowed to come into Brookside? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that, that we approve of the sin, what I'm saying is, do those people deserve the gospel? What about somebody who's a chronic alcoholic? Do they, are they allowed to come into Brookside and be a part of the family? What if somebody who is a pedophile? I mean, as hard as that is to be around somebody like that, um, who are we to say they don't deserve the gospel? So it's, it's a very practical implication of, 
of in your mentality, who do you think deserves here, deserves to be here, and who do you think does not deserve to be here? Yeah. Uh, and then how does that determine the way you relate to those people? So, well, and I think yeah. that's an important point. I mean, mm-hmm. we God doesn't need our approval one to bring the gospel to someone that we don't think deserves it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, I mean, I think I think Jonah's issue, and sometimes many of our issue, is we forget about the grace that we once first received. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we receive the grace, we don't deserve it. It's not like all of a sudden we've attained something or we've... we've we haven't arrived. We haven't arrived. Right. And so, right. Courtney, do you have any thoughts to add to that about about seeking or God seeking our approval for who they're going to sh- share yeah. the gospel with? Or? Yeah, I was just thinking a thought. <laughs> and it left you? Is it-, it did, it left me, <laughs> that's but that's okay. okay. Yeah. Um, no, just with the prodigal, the with the brother, like we all have that propensity. And so if we're not daily checking in with God's heart and surrendering, and I think back to the sermon and when you said Jonah had to realize that God was God and he was not, I think we take on that, like we get to decide and we get to judge and we just don't get to do that. We have to daily surrender. And um, when I think about the difficult people in life or the people that you pray for and you're just like not sure they're ever really going to get the message and receive that message, then I think about the Ninevites and how Jonah was like, I'll tell them, but then I'm going to go sit on the hill and watch the fire come down on them. And yet they, their hearts were changed by God because God is God and we're not. Yeah. So, and that, that's well, the power of the resurrection, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the cross and the resurrection is the great equalizer. And it doesn't yeah. matter your status, your class, your wealth, uh, your religion. It's every one of us yeah. um, stands equally in need before the cross. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is almost a million things where we can be unequal with each other. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, Eric, I know you lift, I run. You know, like we could not do the same things, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's so many things that are unequal, but the one thing that equalizes everything is the gospel. And I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciated everything you shared on Sunday. And I specifically was thinking about like when you were talking about surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when I hear the word surrender, I think of white flag. You know, there's some maybe, I, I'm going to stereotype, but there's some men that go, that's not who I am. I'm in the fight. I'm not going to, lay down and surrender and maybe maybe unpack what you meant by surrender a little bit more to get let it, get us a little deeper into that mm-hmm. because when God's looking for surrender, what exactly is he looking for? Because I, I don't think it's not doing anything, right? Oh, absolutely so, not. Yeah, so I, I say that surrender, let me be clear, surrender is not a loss of confidence. Surrender actually builds confidence because without surrender, the best that you can do is lose. Because you're not coming up against somebody that's like you. You're coming up against spiritual powers in the heavenly realms, right? The yeah. Bible says that's what our, our battle is against. You can't win against those without Jesus. So the moment of your surrender is not only the moment that you get spiritually clean, but it's the moment you start to win. And what I love is that um, some of the greatest mentors in my life, coaches in my life, and I could list off several right now that I'm thinking of, um, even several on our elder, everyone on our elder board uh, are people who I see as extremely confident people, but they're equally surrendered. But the people who I see who have not surrendered before God, it's a veiled confidence. It's not confidence at all. It's actually an arrogance. Mm-hmm. And those become the weakest of people. So for the, the personified man that you're talking about says, I'm not gonna surrender and I don't yeah. do that. Well, you're just proving yourself to be weak. Um, 
because the moment you surrender, that's the moment you tap into the power and the authority and the resources of God himself. And there is where you get confident. Um, so, so essentially, I mean, surrendering is actually getting the victory. Absolutely. You know, if you were talking about uh, a football game, when you surrender in a football game, it sounds like you're giving things up. You're forfeiting. Right. Right. You're not really forfeiting. You're yeah. actually going on the field with more power than you've ever had before. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we talked about a lot in the Holy Spirit series about the fact that we don't control the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit moves when it's going to move. And we, can't, we can, we can uh, petition God and ask God for the Holy Spirit to move, but we can't necessarily say this is when it's going to happen. How do, you, how do you feel about maybe applying that to this? Like when you shared the message on Sunday, um, one of the things you talked about is that Jonah had a resurrection and Peter had a resurrection, but I don't think they were in control of that resurrection. Hmm. And so how do we like live in that uh, un, uh, uncertainty yeah. of the resurrection? And what does that look like? Yeah. So, so the, good thing is, the good thing is that we cannot control what those resurrections look like. We cannot control in any way what Jesus' resurrection was like. The only thing that we can do is run into it and embrace it because this is part of God's will for our life. So th- it reminds me of, of the scriptural passage where Jesus says he is the, the stone the builder re- rejected and it's a stone that you either run into and be crushed or it will crush you. Yeah. And so you do not have a choice except to have an encounter with the resurrection. And in that moment, you will either surrender to it um, and become more like Jesus, or you will fight it yeah. and just be devastated by it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll pass the buck to you because I've been talking too much and I want to oh, hear it. Oh, yeah. Totally yeah, fine. yeah. Um, no, I just jotted something down because I was thinking like you keep using the word surrender and I understand why because of the imagery of being in war and, you know, the manly fight, <laughs> no. um, but also we can use words like submission yeah. and humility. And so I think it's, it's just piggybacking on what you've already shared about when you're surrendering to God and his will and not your own, then that is you being unified with, with the will of the father. Mm-hmm. So yeah. humility is where it begins. Yeah. Well, and I, speaking of the word humility, I think of Philippians chapter two and Christ's example when he went to the cross and to his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually says, uh, how, do, how does it read in verse eight, uh, Philippians chapter two, verse eight, it says, humbled himself by becoming you know, obedient to the point of death. If that's the model, because earlier it says, like we're supposed to model ourselves after Christ. A lot of those, I would say excuses from sharing the gospel and from uh, surrendering or humbly like submitting. Mm-hmm. The word submitting is kind of got a bad taste in your mouth from our culture. Mm-hmm. But the reality is submitting to a God that is infinitely wise is seems like a wise thing to do, right? And so so um, submission in that sense is, is looking to God um, for when to say what and how to say it and the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And so... I, I think there's something that we sometimes do, and it's another way of controlling things, and I, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, we kind of make our own rules about how to share the gospel. And I find that there's people on one end that they're like, I'm going to only do actions. You know, you mentioned St. Mm-hmm. Francis of Assisi, and they never once in their entire lives actually share the gospel or see someone come to faith. And maybe they don't see someone come to faith because 
it didn't happen, but maybe it does happen through someone else, right? And maybe they're that first step. Um, and then you have the other people that are shouting from the rooftop, the bullhorn on the corner people, <laughs> right? And you have the other extreme. And I've not seen that method of evangelism work very well either. Mm, and so, so what rules do you think many of us have about reaching others with the gospel? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know if, if people necessarily have rules. I think they have hesitations. Okay. Um, so a hesitation is um, here's a reason or excuse not to share the gospel. And therefore that trumps the call to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think if, if there's any kind of a rule that actually doesn't hinder or cause us hesitation, but actually propels us into sharing the gospel, it, it's this. And it's what we heard from the story um, um, on Sunday with, with Michael. And, and one of my favorite things that I heard is that he really began to pursue Jesus after some neighbors who he didn't mention, but I know exactly who they are, mm-hmm. uh, spent some time in his garage with him talking about woodworking and bourbon and politics, the military, whatever it is, right? And so the evangelism never started with them knocking on his door and be like, hey, do you know Jesus? Here's a three minute track, right? And do you have a white shirt and brown um, black pants, you know, right? I'm yeah. just kidding, like the people come to your door. I don't know who you're talking about, but <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it all started very, very relationally, just hanging out. And so that's a, that's a capacity every single one of us have. And in, in, in the way that you relate to other people, start there. Be Jesus. When the opportunity comes to use words, use words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that that's, that's probably the rule or something for yeah. us to, to start working off mm-hmm. of. Yeah, I think we just need to remember Jesus' greatest commands, love God, love others. I think that's what the Brooksiders did in that situation in the garage um, with the new neighbors is they loved they just loved them right where they were. And I think if we are just doing what we're called to do and serving others and loving others and just living life before others and with others, then that is our submission to the Holy Spirit. We'll know when to say the words that we need to say. Yeah. If yeah. we are. And there's going to be less hesitation because we've already yeah. built relationships, right? right? And I Absolutely. think some of those rules that you were talking about are man pleasing. Mm. And really, am I, am I fearing what man is going to think of me or am I fearing what God will think of me? So, I, and I, so, so I think of it like this. I'll give you guys an example. Yeah. I've, I've shared the gospel before verbally with someone that I had built a friendship with. And then after that point, they completely rejected, won the gospel, they rejected me as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like that can be intimidating, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I've heard other people share something like that. But I think I realized afterwards that one, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting me. Two, they're uh, in a situation where I am, I am doing the most loving thing I possibly can in the way I can. Mm-hmm. And I had built a relation before. So it wasn't like the first thing. I'm not a bullhorn on the corner. I'm just like, I built a relationship with someone. And if they don't receive that, that doesn't lessen my care and love for them. Mm-hmm. It just means I continue to love and care for them. So not, my relationship with them doesn't change. The only thing is the other person changing their relation with me. And so one, one more thing, I just have to, I have to say this about Sunday. When I look at Acts chapter 10, Peter was told the same thing three times. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he got it. No. I don't it, think yeah. he got it. And so is it going to take three, four, five, seven, 50 times of us hearing from God to say, these are the people I send you to. These are the people I send you to. Sometimes it's the people right next to us, you know, our neighbors or, yeah. you know, people that we see that maybe, I, I mean, 
I don't know how many times I've been in a grocery store or somewhere and I see someone and I think, man, they just need help right now. Like a mom that's got kids running hectically or something. And I think, I yeah. think that and I don't do anything about it. You know well, what I'm yeah, saying? I like, hear, yeah, I hear you. Um, and, and honestly, I think you bring up a very good point um, that scripturally speaking, especially in the New Testament, and even in the story of Jonah, the most bullheaded people uh, hearing the gospel are not the people who it's been given to, but the people who are carrying it. Hmm. I mean, Nineveh, Nineveh. <laughs> Whoa, dry, mic drop, okay. dude. That <laughs> was mic well, drop. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Jonah, I mean, he ran from God, even though he knew God. In fact, the Bible says that he knew he was a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, relenting in calamity, that stuff. So he understood who God was, but yet... He ran from God, resisted. And then when the Ninevites heard the message the first time, they embraced it. When Peter was given the gospel, he resisted it. In fact, it was 10 years after Peter was given the great commission. And that's when Jesus said, I'm gonna send you into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He understood exactly what the gospel was, who Jesus is, and what the call was. And it took 10 years for him to finally connect the dots. So the the threefold vision, you know, that was just the cherry on top after a decade of Peter being so bullheaded, he couldn't see it. But then when Cornelius, these Gentiles, heard the gospel for the first time, they're like, yep, let's do it. And we're gonna get baptized right now. So, I mean, I think we have to be careful of thinking, you know, those people out there, they're never gonna embrace the message. They're so bullheaded. Uh, honestly, the precedent in scripture is that we who carry the message tend to be more yeah. bullheaded than those receiving it. Hey, do you think it's a lack of faith in God's preparation in their hearts? Like in the hearts of yeah, people it, we're reaching. It, it could be. Um, I mean, I, I think probably he is preparing those people for the message before he ever calls me to go to him. Um, and so he, so honestly, the, probably the preparation has been happening in me or there's probably more preparation that needs to happen in me than preparation that needs to be happening in them because the Holy Spirit's already been preparing them. And that's been the story of Nineveh as well as the story of Cornelius. Whoa. Yeah, it's good. That was really heavy. I, I don't know if that's like an end point or if there's <laughs> more that you have to add, Courtney, to that or. No, I just think it's interesting. I can relate to Peter in that I have been hard headed in having to hear something three times. And he, I think you talked about this on Sunday. He also denied Christ three times. And so there's this repetition and. Um, He's just very relatable. So I'm, I appreciate his example in the Bible, but isn't it true that the one who's teaching it is also the one who's learning the most? So, I mean, I like to think that when I preach on Sundays, uh, I'm the one who's been learning the most from yep. those messages. So I appreciate that. And I think this is also an encouragement to us mm-hmm. um, because I think you said, what are some of the things that perhaps the rules or hesitancies that keep us from going to people? And I think one of them is the fear of failure that I'm gonna mm-hmm. preach it to them. And just like you, they not only rejected the gospel, they rejected your friendship. Yeah. And I think there's that fear that does it. But if you're afraid of failure, the first thing you need to remember is you will fail in the sense of people, everyone you give it to will not embrace it. Most will not. In fact, if, if, if you have failure in that, then you're in really good company with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that Jesus really began to explain what it meant for salvation, 
that he would have to go to the cross. Uh, he would suffer and die at the hands of the Jews. Uh, then he would rise again three days. He said, if you yeah. want to be saved, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. That sounds like cannibalism, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What he's referring to is you have to embrace the sacrifice that I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. And, and prior to that time, I mean, hundreds of people followed him. And at that moment, the Bible says that many turned back and no longer followed him. He even looked at his own 12 disciples and he said, are you gonna abandon me too? And that's when Peter said, to who else are we gonna go? For you have the words of life. So mm-hmm. if you're afraid of failure in giving the gospel away in whatever manner that is, uh, then number one, know that you're going to experience it. Mm-hmm. And number two, know that you're gonna be in good company with Jesus when it happens. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I think we probably need to end on this point sure. is you just brought up something that I think is very important. There is a cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not a theme park. We're not at Disneyland. If you all of a sudden become a believer, not everything's going to be smooth and easy. But I think what's important is you have Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. One, he's interceding on your behalf. The Holy Spirit's interceding on your behalf. God, he's sitting at the right hand of God right now saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. As you pursue things that maybe are going to humble you. And I I think one one of the themes of the resurrection that I see especially when you shared on Sunday, I kept thinking to myself is we need to humble ourselves before the Lord to see new life. Mm-hmm. And if we don't humble ourselves, we're going to really struggle. So if we continue to, to fight pride and really the sin that sent Satan out of heaven was actually pride. Mm-hmm. He thought he was better than God. And so in some ways when we think, oh, I've got a better way of doing this or this new thing or whatever, sometimes the simplicity of just, doing what you know how to do and sharing people with the way you know how to share them is just amazing. So, um, well, I think our time on Church Unscripted this week is almost over here. So um, if you're with us this week, uh, look oh, look over here at Courtney's shirt. You can get one of these Brookside shirts over here, all right, or Brookside sweatshirts. Um, we'd love for you to get some merch. Um, I think one of the things that we are looking forward to in the coming weeks is as we go through a new series, um, what it looks like to unpack that series here on Church Unscripted. So continue to watch, like, and subscribe below, and we'll see you next week on Church Unscripted.